This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And welcome back to Mr. Clue Jets Podcast. Your host, Ben Blessington and Michael Nania. Well, Michael, Jets training camp officially underway. How good does it feel to have actual Jets football to talk about? It feels great. And like we've said, each of the past few weeks we've come on here, it gets taxing in the offseason when there's not a lot of real football to talk about. But now the training camp is back and the Jets are on the field and there are actual on-field activities to discuss. It's it's exciting. And it's the first sign that the season is getting closer and closer. And especially with the, you know, the Hall of Fame game. I think we're only 11 days away, right? Hall 10, from 10, the time. 10 days. So yeah. it's creeping up very quickly. Yeah, a lot to break down from the first few days of training camp. We'll have a podcast coming out uh, at the end of this week with Robbie Sabo, who's been to every ca- uh, camp practice. He's been putting out some great uh, tweets. Is it now? What are we calling it? If it's if it's no longer Twitter, I've heard it's going to be X. X's or Zets. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, follow at Robbie Sabo. He's been did some great um, Twitter recaps for Jets X Factor. So we'll have him on at the end of the week to give us uh, his perspective, what he's seen. Um, but. Beyond that, I mean, yeah, plenty of storylines. I guess we'll start with the offensive line because I think, you know, Rodgers gets all the the attention, Sauce Gardner and Garrett Wilson making plays. It's always fun to talk about. But the thing that's standing out to me most is how they're shuffling these offensive tackles. Makai Becton, I don't – correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think he's taken any snaps at right tackle. He's been taking snaps at left tackle uh, with the second team. Dwayne Brown listed on the PUP list. And so Billy Turner's the Jets starting left tackle right now. And – Max Mitchell and Carter Warren are, are rotating at right tackle. What do you make of, of Mackay Becton's whole situation? I understand easing him in, not directly into the, the, you know, the starting lineup, but the fact he's getting no right tackle reps. Yeah, it's fascinating because I think we all assumed that, you know, the projected starting duo would be Dwayne Brown on the left side and Becton on the right side, despite, you know, Becton wanting to play left tackle just because of Dwayne Brown being a pure left tackle. He's never played the right side. It seemed like, that's what they were going to do. But you know, now with Brown being on PUP, it's given this opportunity for Beckton to be over there. But even so, he's still not all the way in as the starter. They're having him compete with Billy Turner. So there's a lot of interesting moving parts with this, and it'll be you know fascinating to see how it plays out and what their plans are. But uh, I don't know. I mean, how do you see this sort of playing out as the offseason goes along? Do you think when Brown comes back that Beckton's the backup left tackle, or is he going to slide back right tackle? Well, he's the backup back? left tackle with he's the backup left tackle right now with yeah. Billy Turner. So yeah, I, I would expect him to be the backup, but we'll see how long Dwayne Brown is out for. He's still recovering from that that torn rotator cuff. It's possible, you know, he's forty years old. He could sit out the, the majority of training camp and still slide right into a starting role. But if he does miss extended time and Beckton starts to put together some good uh, training camp practices, especially with with pads coming on tomorrow, you know. If Becton starts to get in with the ones at left tackle and he's going through the first three, four weeks of training camp with with Dwayne Brown on the PUP list, it's possible that Brown opens the season up on the bench. I think that isn't something we, we talked enough about is, you know, Becton made it clear with his comments at the end of minicamp that he was frustrated that he had to play right tackle last year on the injured knee. You know, 
clearly the Jets coaches didn't really uh, didn't like that that was stated publicly, but the response seems to be that Becton's only playing the left tackle, um, which is what he wanted, but I think they're going to make him earn it, and he's starting as the second string, even with Brown injured. You know, we'll, we'll see what Robbie has to say, but from every clip I've seen, Billy Turner's getting – I saw him get turned into a turnstile by Michael Clemens today. Um, so a little concerned about Billy Turner. I guess how does – how does the thought of Becton and Brown being strict left tackles change your outlook on the offensive line? Because now into the projected week one starting lineup, you have to have, you have to factor in for either a Billy Turner or Max Mitchell or a Carter Warren, which isn't something we have been necessarily really talking about. So how does that kind of change your, your outlook on the Jets O-line if Becton is, is only going to be a left tackle? I think it raises the ceiling because of the possibility that, you know, Mitchell has a second year leap and he breaks out being a younger player than Dwayne Brown or Billy Turner, but there's also a lower floor without a doubt. Because I think, you know, we don't expect a a ton from Dwayne Brown at this point of his career, considering his age. And I think we expect him to be better than last year if he can stay healthy throughout the season. But, um, you know, at this point of his career, you're expecting average at best, maybe above average. But, you know, Max Mitchell being a young player, there is the potential, however unlikely it may be because he was a fourth round pick. Um, that he can become better than that. So I think there is that possibility. But at the same time, you know, Mitchell struggled for much of last year, you know, as you would expect from a fourth round rookie. And you're hoping that he could take that leap, but he hasn't shown it yet. So there is that floor that I think you're getting by going with, you know, solidifying Brown and Becton as the left tackles and potentially having having Max Mitchell on the other side. So uh, this is just... I, we really should have considered this possibility more because it, it feels like it's surprising, but it's something that they have been saying. Makes it. Sense. Yeah. He had been saying all off season, I'm a left tackle. Yeah. Um, it's possible he goes out and earns it these next few weeks. And, you know, Brown was br- brought in last year to be a backup. And so it wouldn't be the most surprising thing. If the 40 year old coming off a torn rotator cuff is the backup to begin the season. And then Becton, who's notoriously had injury issues every year he's been in the league gets hurt. Brown goes into the starting lineup. Um, I guess that does help the because I guess if, if Brown and Beckton were your two starting tackles, both of them had have had injury issues. Granted, Brown did play every game last year with that torn rotator cuff. I guess it it allows the off the right side of the offensive line to get settled a little bit more if, if Beckton isn't over there. If if the left tackle is just Beckton and Brown, one of them goes out, the other one slides in. You can have a little bit more stability there at the right side, and it does seem like Max Mitchell is the leading contender for that role. I mean, it's possible. Billy Turner plays there uh, there as well. You know, he has the comfort level with Rodgers and, and the system, and he is the veteran. Um, but with Brown out, Turner's been playing left tackle. Mitchell's been playing right tackle. What did you make of, of Mitchell's rookie year? I don't think we, we haven't talked too much about him. You mentioned he did struggle, uh, which is true, although he did have some good moments in there as well, displayed some good athleticism. Uh, he, had, he put together some good moments on film. So what did you make of, of Mitchell's rookie season and then – uh, kind of his outlook entering his, his sophomore year uh, with, with the added weight and yeah. the experience of playing as a rookie. I think there were definitely flashes, but I think it's overrating him a little bit to say, you know, he was overall promising or exceeded expectations. Um, maybe, maybe over the first game or so, he was kind of doing a little bit better than you expected considering the circumstances. But overall, I think you saw the growing pains you would expect from a player in his situation, uh, especially in the run game. He, really got tossed around in the run game. Uh, and, you know, that was a concern coming out. The scouts were saying that he needed to add more weight, more play strength, 
And uh, you did see that on film. He did get moved quite a bit in the ground game. So that's the biggest concern for him coming into this year. And uh, he's had a whole offseason to work on it. And, you know, granted, he has had the health condition that he's had to work around. So uh, maybe that hindered him a little bit. But uh, he has had, you know, a full offseason to work on adding some more weight and getting up to that level level of strength that he's going to need. But um, I do think in pass protection, and he still had, you know, his share of lumps there as well. But um, that's where I saw some really interesting upside, especially in that Cleveland game. Uh, and he did give up one strip sack in that one, but it was it was a yeah. quick drop and, you know, the ball. Uh, it was Flacco. Yeah, it was Flacco. <laughs> let's just say, let's put it that way. But um, he did have some good reps against Garrett in that game where he showed, you know, quick feet and the ability to push the rusher up the arc and match speed. So uh, I, I think there are, there's some upside with him in pass protection. And then, I think he has nice mobility that translates to the run game as well that could fit into the scheme. But uh, you got to have the strength to match it, of course, or, you know, the the movement skills won't mean anything. So uh, there, yeah. there's potential for sure. But I think it should be understood that he did play up to what I think you would expect from him considering the circumstances last year. So a lot of growth is needed. Yeah, and I think the other thing that'll help him out is playing alongside AVT. Yeah. You know, doesn't have to worry as much about the interior pass rushing. Obviously, he'll still have to help out there. But when you have an all pro, well, I guess he's not technically an all pro, but when a you have a 79 overall caliber. On Madden. <laughs> <laughs> all right. AVT was putting together a pretty damn good season last year. We'll see what he's like coming off the torn tricep, but pretty unequivocally, the, the Jets' best offensive lineman. Yeah. And he should have been like an 88. Guy, yeah. Well, he did miss. Majority of the season. I so. mean, we're biased, but the film. He was, ju- the he film was just on the cusp. Film, or 90 film. He was, he was right on the cusp of breaking through to the broader NFL media yeah. because he had been playing all those different positions. But then he got hurt in that game, and people forget about him. It's a, you know, it's a short-term memory league. But he is back. We haven't heard anything about him. He's been playing in training camp, and that's generally what you want to hear from your offensive lineman is nothing. And the fact that Mitchell gets to play alongside AVT, I think, should help him out. I'm fascinated to see what they do with Becton, though, because I think we really did assume that the best five would be Brown at left tackle, Becton at right tackle, and then probably Lake and uh, Tipman and ABT on the inside. We'll see about the center competition as well. McGovern's been getting a lot of the starting web. There's also reps. reports, have you seen, that Schweitzer might be more yeah. in that mix than we're giving credit well, based for? Off, based off the contract, I guess that shouldn't be surprising. Since Bigger he made, than McGovern. He's making more. Yeah. Yeah, he's making more than McGovern. I still ultimately think Tipman wins that job. Um, but yeah, the, the tackles are surprising to me. You wrote an article on Jets X Factor talking about, you know, some bold predictions for training camp. And one of them was another bold prediction that's shared by Rich Samini is that the Jets could, could look into trading Becton. I would hate this. I really don't think they'll do this, but I think it's worth talking about because, Hey, this is, he's technically the third string left tackle right now. So, uh, what do you make of, of the possibility of maybe looking into trading Makai Becton? I mean, I, I agree with you. It's not something that I would prefer, if only because they didn't really upgrade tackle this offseason. So Becton is their best hope at getting elite tackle play or even just good tackle play because, you know, Dwayne Brown, like we said, has maybe a cap on a ceiling at this point. Max Mitchell's question. So Becton is your highest ceiling talent at a very important offensive position. So I do want to keep him around just to tap into that hope that he can be that player, even if there are questions regarding his durability. So uh, it's not something I would prefer, but I, I feel like it is a non-zero possibility just because it doesn't seem like the Jets are too high on him. I mean, just the way that Salah talks about him. I mean, we were 
watching some of the press conferences uh, that in which Salah has talked about Becton throughout training camp uh, before he started recording. And it always seems like he's kind of vague about it. He doesn't want to guarantee anything, which you understand with most players. But, you know, you go back to the offseason and didn't seem like Salah was thrilled about the Twitter comments and stuff. And just that in general doesn't seem like it fits the culture that the Jets kind of want to build. So I, I don't know. It just doesn't feel like that he's firmly entrenched as a player. Like he's definitely going to be on this roster. So if the season comes near, he's still healthy. And, you know, say the Jets know that they're going to move on from Becton after the season, because even if he does stay healthy the whole year, plays all 17 games, has a nice year, you're still looking at a full four-year body of work in which he's had, you know, one healthy season, then two games of pretty much no no games, or two seasons of pretty much no games, and uh, obviously an injury-riddled rookie year. So it's still a hard body of work to invest in, regardless of how healthy or good he is this year. So maybe the Jets know they're not planning to keep him long-term anyway, so if they can get something they like, at, you know, and late August or early September this year, maybe they take it a desperate team looking for a tackle. I'm just saying, don't rule it out. I don't think it will happen. Right. And I would like to keep him around. He is their best shot at good tackle play, but uh, I'm, I think there are enough signs where I'm like, I'll just keep it in mind. Right. It's just his value right now. Can't be that high because of what you're saying. And we know his, how high his ceiling is just doesn't really make any sense to trade him right now, especially entering a year where you're expecting to be competing for a Super Bowl. And like you said, he is the only tackle on the roster uh, that gives that realistic high ceiling chance for this offensive line. You get rid of him. It's like, all right, you have your 40 year old starting left tackle coming off a torn rotator cuff and Max Mitchell, who may end up being your starters anyway, but I don't know if I want to get rid of Becton that quickly. Um, we'll see. It kind of reminds me. I mean, what did you make of Mims? We, we did a podcast, yeah. and I think I had Mims making my 53-man roster, and then the next day it's like uh, he's getting traded or cut. Um, what did you make of that? I, I feel like uh, – Yeah, you have a really I, good I point that I think you know is a, a factor that I wasn't thinking about. Well, I feel like they should have just – I feel like they should have kept him through training camp and then maybe traded him because what did they really get from him? You moved uh, conditionally. It's if he makes the team, which looks Denzel Mims has had trouble grasping the Jets playbook when he's had a whole off season and a season to digest it. He's going to have to go to Detroit, learn Ben Johnson's offense and make the team within a month, within five weeks, which is a tall order. So he might not make the team. So they might've just given him away for nothing. I'm, I'm not trying to act like Denzel Mims is, you know, second coming of Randy Moss or anything, but he was a young, talented second round pick who flashed as a rookie clearly didn't fit in well with LaFleur's offense battled, you know, mental miscues and didn't really develop as much as a route runner, but he's still, you know, a tall athletic jump ball receiver um, who's put himself in good shape the last year or two. And it's just like, I would have liked to seen him throughout training camp. Maybe he has a great preseason or a good preseason game against some of these scrub cornerbacks in the fourth quarter. And then you're able to maybe get a fifth round pick or something. But all you did is you got a, a conditional move up from the seventh round to the sixth round in 2025. If he makes the team, the value is not really there. So it's like, why didn't you just trade a month, months, you know, back in March or wait another month and trade him, you know, at the end of the season or at the end of preseason and see if you can get anything more from it. Just they traded him at a weird time. It feels like you could have raised his stock in training camp. It's unlikely it would have gone any lower. And as I said in the last podcast, it's like, you know, if anybody's going to get anything out of a guy like that, it would be Rogers. Not that he would turn into a starter, but as a receiver five or receiver six, I mean, the Jets receiver depth is worrying to me. Because all it takes is one major injury and then let alone two injuries. And then you're looking at a receiver room that 
is starting to look eerily like the receiver rooms that we've seen in years past. Although, you know, I like this room. It's just an injury or two. It could really decimate the room. And behind that, you're going to have to dip into some undrafted free agents. I don't know. I would have held on to him. And then if you're going to trade him, trade him at the end of August, see if you can get something better for him. Um, but I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. It didn't seem like they, he was in their future plans regardless. What did, what did you make of the trade? Um, were you happy with the value? Were you expecting it? You didn't have him making your 53. So, you know, yeah, I think that's a fair point that you raise, you know, the opportunity to potentially raise his value throughout the off season. And I think the reason maybe that why they waited to trade him until now versus earlier this off season is maybe, you know, new offensive coaching staff, new OC passing game coordinator, all that. And they just wanted to get a chance to get those guys in and evaluate them a little bit and then see what happened. So, Maybe they came in, they saw him, gave him a chance in OTAs, minicamp and all that, and they just didn't see him making the roster. So they said, go ahead and shop him. But um, but yeah, I didn't have him making my 53 anyway, so I guess they got some value for him. But I mean, that's, that's as minimal value as you could possibly get in a trade, moving from the seventh to the sixth round in two years. So it's, it's something. So I guess good on them for... Uh, you know, instead of waving him, you got again just something that's not zero, but it's it's very minimal. But um, it's unfortunate. I I really like the pick. I me- I remember we were all very excited about it when they got him in the second round. Yeah. Remember, like we wanted them to they take trade him down. The, yeah, they trade down. We wanted him with the initial pick. Then uh, we prayed that he fell to that next pick after they moved down, and they got him. And uh, he had he had an exciting rookie year. Obviously, he didn't score, but there were a ton of big vertical downfield plays. You saw that length and the uh, contested catch radius. Um, And it really seemed like he was going to build on it, but new scheme comes in. He just could never pick it up. Wasn't a fit. And uh, there's injuries. There's the food poisoning playbook. So never materialized, but um, maybe a, you know, change of scenery will allow him to maximize his skill set, at least to the point where he could be a, rosterable player because I didn't see him making this Jets roster. And obviously it seems like they agreed. Well, I think the other thing too, is he does free up $1.3 million in the cap. And, you know, while the Jets have ample amount of cap space right now, I think they're trying to create as much as possible to uh, front load some of that Rogers money into this year. And so that's why I keep my eye out on Ashton Davis and Bryce Hall, because I think both of them would free around. I think they free more than Mims for some reason, because over the cap has them both listed as freeing about 2.7 million. I don't know if that's exactly accurate, but yeah, in the low millions, and that does add up a little bit. Um, so I think that definitely had a, a role to play. I, I'm not as upset about them trading him or even that the even the value that they got back. It's more just the timing of it. It's like, why wouldn't you just keep him through training camp and see if you could get a little bit more for him? Also, what do you make of that whole like announcing that you're going to cut him unless you get a trade? That was weird. Process? Yeah, it did feel like... What? And obviously it turns out that they didn't hurt themselves because they did get the trade, but it doesn't feel like there's a positive to that, right? Well, it's you're basically announcing to – they probably weren't getting any offers on them, and then you're announcing to everybody, we are going to cut this guy, um, but right. he would have to clear waivers. So for the Lions, I guess they wanted to make sure they get him, and so they would hop anybody on on waivers. But then I just think about, like, it's the conditional pick. Is he going to make the initial 53? They could cut him and then re-sign him. And then they, we wouldn't qualify for the pick. I don't know. It's just the value yeah, strange. But too. Can they dodge it by doing that? Like he doesn't make the well, he, he would have to clear. Him. 
And then he would uh, have to clear yeah. waivers. So I guess they could risk losing him, but there is that opportunity right. to get around. Not that it's you know losing that much anyway, but yeah, I don't know. I, I don't hate the move that much. It's just interesting timing. You know, you raised a good point about it. It is a new coaching staff. So maybe he showed up into OTAs coaching staff, got a chance to look at him and just didn't like what they saw. And then the last six weeks before training camp, they were trying to trade him. And then ultimately they were just like, all right, we're going to cut this guy unless somebody makes us any sort of offer. And the lions came in. So, you know, farewell to Denzel Mims, uh, up and down career, man, that 2020 class, pretty rough, pretty rough. You know? And there's pretty, I think one of the, you know, we've talked about it a lot at nauseum on this podcast, but I think, you know, the, the major difference is it's not just that they were drafting for Adam Gase's coaching staff. I think what we've seen throughout Joe Douglas's tenure, especially with Robert Sala is how closely he likes to, to work with the coaching department. And I think Sala's coaching staff has a very clear vision for what they want in players like very clear prototype for what a, a Robert Sala defensive end looks like or a Robert Sala corner. Um, and even on the offensive side of the ball, they kind of knew the the type of playmakers that they wanted to bring in. And I think for Adam Gase, the vision was a little less clear and the plan to develop those players was a little less clear. So I think that's part of the reason the class was bad. The other, you know, it was the COVID draft. They had no in-person 30 visits. It was tough to, it's tough to get a read on some of these guys' character through a Zoom call. And it was, it was Douglas's first draft class. You can't, excuse it entirely, you know, especially since he missed the quarterback the next year. But, you know, I think when you look at the position this roster is in now compared to when Douglas took over, it's night and day. And I think that's why he's bought himself a lot of leeway with Jets fans. But I guess before we get into anything else, because I did mention them, how do you feel about the futures of of Bryce Hall and Ashton Davis? Now that we're just, we're talking entirely about the 2020 draft class. Do you think they're, they're in jeopardy? I think Davis last year kind of showed special teams value that could really give him a shot to stick around this year. But, you know, at what point do you keep players who only have special teams value? Because he barely played on defense and it doesn't seem like they have plans for him defensively besides being a backup. So, uh, you know, you got a lot of safeties in that room at this point. Uh, It seems like Amos and Whitehead are going to be locks. Adams, Seems like a lock at this point. Is he going to start? That's another topic we can get into, but uh, probably a lock for the roster. Uh, and then you got a lot of intriguing undrafted free agents in there. You got um, Trey Dean who came on our podcast. Um, there are, I forget the other undrafted free agent safety they signed, but there's another one in there. So it's a crowded competition. And I think they, they care about, yeah, Dane Krugshank they just signed. So, uh, which is, you know, maybe a signal that they, feel like they wanted more reliability in terms of being able to line up defensively, not just on special teams. So I think they do value those you know special teams kind of guys, and maybe they'll value it even more so this year because they struggled last year in a lot of special teams areas. Gave up, I think, two of the three punt return touchdowns in the entire league last year. So I think that's something they could want to clean up, and maybe they value oh, a special teams guy. Pete, that's that. Sorry, I don't know. You say there was three punt return touchdowns yep. entirely, and the Jets gave up two of them. Yep, that is true. Uh, I heard God. I heard that recently. I was, I was like, wow, and uh, but it's true. Houston's the only other team that gave one up. Hey, think the there'd Jets be more. Two. Yeah, geez. And those were game changers. I mean, the game-winning touchdown against New England, and uh, the one against Detroit. That turned out to be a three-point game. So that flipped that results so special teams is key so maybe that leans you know pushes them towards a player like ashton davis yeah i think davis if he's just a pure special teams player is is a little bit more replaceable um we'll see though i mean we're we're entering year four for him 
see if he can do anything on defense. But I agree. If he's just going to be a, a straight special teams player, you're already paying Justin Hardy $2 million to do that. I, I think you, you could cut him in free. Over the cap has it at $2.7 million in savings. Sometimes they're a little iffy. You can double-check that, Michael. But I think I think he his, his days could be numbered. Especially since you, you pronounce it Krukshank. Krukshank? Is that what it is? Krukshank. 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 Well, I was reading a lot of Titans fans were talking about his – I haven't watched him at all, so I won't pretend to be an expert. But a lot of Titans fans were talking about him in 2021 – uh, matching up well against opposing tight ends. And that's something we have been talking a lot about on this podcast is after losing Chuck Clark, who can match up with tight ends? You know, it's, the big the big guys like Travis Kelsey, okay, you can move sauce inside, but those Evan Ingrams, Darren Waller, those type of tight ends where you don't want to move sauce inside for, who's going to cover them? Maybe a guy like that um, slides in. Um, what, what, is, what stood out to you so far? Uh, in training camp, especially when you see this offense, this is kind of the first time. Jets have been, gotten pretty liberal with allowing the fans to to film practices, but yeah. we've gotten to see plenty of clips from this offense, some of the plays that they're running, the personnel that they're using. Does anything stood out to you in particular? I think the coolest thing for me is just seeing the offense have its stretches of dominance because over the years, it feels like every single training camp, the defense is dominant and the offense has a day here or there or maybe a drive. But it seems like the defense is overpowering, and we write it off because of the excuse, oh, the offense is still working it out. They're building their chemistry. It favors the defense in training camp anyway, so don't read into it. But then it turns out that the offense is bad, which, you know, not that training camp always correlates with what you see on the field in the regular season. But uh, it, it is good to see the offense finally, you know, going back and forth with the defense and having its stretches of really good play and it's just the Aaron Rodgers effect. He's really – you just from the few plays that I've watched, um, from fans filming it, it, you could see the difference in the poise that he has at the line of scrimmage. There's there's one play where he's – I mean, he probably stood there like 15 seconds before snapping the ball. He would point every now and then, set something up, but it was never too panicked, and it, it just felt like something that I wasn't used to seeing from the guy who is usually wearing that red jersey. And it's, I think it's going to have a very positive effect on the whole offense, but specifically the offensive line. I think it's, you know, there's a lot of question marks with that unit, but I think the floor is going to be raised by having a guy under center who is able to get everyone on the same page and make sure that the protections are clean. Everyone knows what their assignment is and that there isn't any confusion from a mental standpoint. So they can just go out there and do their jobs physically, just go execute their one-on-one battle. So uh, that's maybe a little bit too much to read into training camp so far, but uh, yeah. it's you could you could I feel that impact that he has, and and Robbie has talked about it in his amazing tweets that he's put out recapping each practice, uh, just how you can feel that impact that Rodgers has had on the offense from that you know vocal standpoint, leadership standpoint, and just getting everything set and on the same page. So, and from the few plays I've watched, you can feel that. So, hopefully, that does translate. Yeah. And the windows that he's able to find. Yeah. And some of those clips that you've seen, it's like he's just creating. Corey Davis that talked about that. Yeah. Possible. What did, what did Corey Davis say? He, he basically said, I think exactly what you just said, or he's creating windows that he didn't know existed. <laughs> well, maybe, that's, maybe that's where I got it. Maybe I just read that and it maybe. downloaded it into the brain. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, there, there, there are a few, a few throws highlights. that were exactly. Yeah. I mean, maybe you're just going to bring them up, but like the back shoulder that he threw to Hardman in back the end zone, yeah. the one to Garrett Wilson, where he over the shoulder outside the back of the it was basically out of bounds and he's pulling it back in so 
the ball placement and the there, there's one of the Conklin that was really nice. Yeah. Uh, so he creates and the those one windows. That, and the one that came out today to Garrett Wilson, who, by the way, superstar. Yeah. I mean, uh, he's, he's one of the most fluid route runners uh, in the entire league. And then after the catch, man, I mean, I just, I worry about how hard he practices. I know he said, he's like, I'm not going to change. I practice how I play, but the guy is running and cutting at 120 miles an hour. He's so fun to watch. Certainly the most athletic receiver that I've ever seen in my life. The only guy who's even close in terms of that fluidity and that explosiveness was probably Holmes. But he's, I mean, I know we're entering year two here and we don't want to oversell him. But if he stays healthy, he's levels beyond that. I mean, if he stays healthy this year, I think he's going to have a top three, top five type of fantasy season. Not that that's how you want to judge receivers entirely, but I mean, you look at some of those plays that have already come out and he looks like he's taken another step forward. He also seems like him and sauce both seem like they've added some muscle as well. You know, coming into the NFL, um, they're a little thin, but both of them seem to be a little bit bigger. And I know it's the, the cliche of iron sharpens iron, but it is nice that the two of them, you can make a case that the hardest matchups that they're going to see all year is each other. Yeah. And that's, that's going to be really special to watch those two guys grow. I just hope they stay healthy, man. That's, that's all I care substitute about. Substitute phrase for iron sharpens iron. You know, same message but different words. Uh, it's so cliche. I was trying to think. I'll have to look that one up. You don't I have don't anything know, off the top of your head? No, I'm, I'm pretty slow today. I've, I don't know. We'll find iron it. sharpens iron. Yeah, I don't know. I'll think about it next time. But did you see that play um, where uh, Sauce had the breakup against Garrett? Yeah, oh the deep God. shot. I think well, what's really interesting about that play to me is I think. You know, because we just had that big debate a couple weeks ago where, you know, Asante Samuels calling out Sauce Gardner saying he should get more interceptions, bringing up all the interception stats. And, you know, and that's the main criticism that Sauce has really gotten from casual fans who don't watch the Jets that, oh, you only had two interceptions versus three. The main criticism is. His main thing is like the holding that he maybe maybe gets away with. But other than that, it's like, you know, you don't get enough picks. You're a pass breakup king or whatever. But I think that play shows exactly <laughs> why I prefer the style that he plays with versus being a you know ball hawker who's chasing interceptions. Because if you look at that play, he get gets that pass deflection so instinctively. You know, he gets his head around at the last second. He throws out. I think it was his left hand, but he throws out his hand yeah. and he just tips it as soon as you know simultaneously with rotating his head. Base. It's a very small window to make that contact, and he does it. But if you play that with the ball hawking sort of approach where you're like, okay, I turn my head, I see the ball. I want to get two hands up and go play that, try to catch it. I think you're probably going to miss it in that situation because that is going to take longer to get both your hands up, to square that up and go get it. And it's probably going to go over your head. Garrett Wilson catches it and it's a touchdown. So I think I don't want to see sauce change his mentality to get more interceptions because I think it's going to take away what made him great last year, which is his extremely sticky coverage and his ability to break up those contested deep passes at an absurdly consistent rate. Because yeah. it seems like he was always coming up big. Whenever he got challenged deep and you saw number one was in the area or you saw it was going down his side of the field, you're like, oh, Sauce is there? Yeah, that's not getting completed. Yeah. From the first week. From the first from week, he's very first week, he established point. that. So I, I want to see him maintain that. And I don't care if he gets two interceptions a year. If he's going to keep covering as consistently as he did last year, it's totally fine. And you look at – I did an article on this, but – if you look at the impact of his targets in terms of EPA, which is expected points added, um, 
even without all those interceptions, he still had the best impact in terms of how much value was lost by the other team when they threw his way. Even though interceptions are obviously, as we all know, huge game changing plays. So they do generate a lot of EPA and stats like that. So even without that, he was so consistent in his coverage that he was better than all of the high interception guys who did get so many of those big plays. And that's because as a cost of those interceptions, a lot of those high interception guys were not great in coverage overall. So I don't want to see sauce change his mentality and gamble for picks. Just keep doing what he's doing. Right. And the picks will come, you know, he'll get more opportunities. Yeah. He's been a lead at the catch point. I mean, think about how many last second breakups he's had last year. And then even I've seen some in practice. He had another one on Lazard who seems to still be in, in hell anytime sauce Gardner's on him. Um, yeah, I mean, the Jets, that 2022 draft class is going to be – is the catalyst for where they're at right now. Um, but I did want to go back to the offense because going back to anything that we've we've noticed, I think the only main takeaway that I have is that it, it seems seems like the Jets going to be carrying a fullback. It seems like Nick Bowden yeah. is going to make this team. Uh, how do you feel about that and their usage of, of 22 personnel, their usage of Bowden? I mean, we haven't seen him in, in a year. The end of 2021, he had some good moments. Um, but what do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, it was something we were debating going into the going to training camp. Like, is he going to make this team? Because it seemed like there was some talk that he could. But the thing was, last year, he was in, in line to make the roster. But then when he got injured, they didn't replace his role. They didn't get another fullback. And they basically didn't use it during the season. There, there, there were occasional a tight end, like Rucker to Uzama would do something similar to a fullback responsibility. But there was no pure fullback on the team so uh you wondered coming to this year and obviously new scheme new system and everything but you know the packers didn't really u- utilize a fullback really either during uh hackett's time there and I- i'd have to check on the broncos but i don't think they did really either did they or uh, i mean i had to check but uh it-, it was a question mark would they value it but early in training camp the question has been answered it seems like he's going to be a part of this team um in all likelihood. So, uh, yeah, it will be interesting in in terms of it'll be interesting to see which roster spot is he taking to be on the team. Like, is it a running back? Is it a tight end a receiver? Like, who are you taking off to make room for him? And then in terms of snaps, whose snaps is he taking? Yeah, probably he's going to eat into the tight ends a little bit. And that's not to say he'll play a lot. I mean, even a couple of years ago, he was barely playing, but um it was only a handful of snaps a game. So I don't think he's going to get a ton of snaps, but there will be a few snaps there that, you know, maybe I otherwise might have gone to a tight end. So, um, yeah, I'm very interested to see how he fits in. And in 2021, he, again, didn't play a lot, but the few snaps he played, he did have some good blocks in there that facilitated some good plays. And I think we've seen the 49ers really show how a fullback can be useful in creating angles in the run game, just motioning, motioning them around, doing different things to force movement from the defense and naturally create those angles, and then using them to insert through gaps and lead the way. I think you know it's become a lost art in the league, and for good reason, because you do want as many legitimate weapons on the field as possible. But So I understand why fullbacks have played less, but teams like the 49ers, or you know, specifically the 49ers, have shown that there can still be value in fullback. So I'm curious to see how big his role is if he makes the team. Yeah, we talked a lot about uh, whether they would keep the fullback or, or a fourth tight end. If they keep Bowden, it's tougher for a guy like Kuntz or Yeboah to make the final 53, but we'll see. 
you know, the one thing that stood out is that Ruckert is getting a lot of time with, with the starters. Part of that's just because Uzama's been injured. But I think I think the Jets are really going to use those tight ends. And, you know, I, I saw Bowden running routes as well. So I think it's going to be a big part of their offense. Um, you know, they're going to win with size, too, because even at the receiver position, you have two really physical, great run-blocking receivers in, in Corey Davis and Alan Lazard. What have, how have you made up uh, – what do you make of how they've used their receivers in terms of Lazard and Davis kind of splitting times? Uh as the Z receiver and then Harbin getting a lot more, more run with the starters. It seems like his role in this offense is going to be more than just a, a direct Braxton Berrios replacement. So from what we've seen, very limited, only a few practices, neither of you or, you or I have been to any practices yet, but from what we've seen, how do you make up of how they're using these receivers and these personnel packages? Well, I think the Hardman thing is the most interesting because, you know, we've had those discussions. Is he going to have an expanded role here? Is he just a Berrios replacement with a little bit of deep, action sprinkled on top of that but it seems like that some of Salah's hype in terms of his route running potential and wanting to expand his game maybe that's going to come true in this offense based on what we've the little we've seen so far that's an important caveat like like you said neither you or I have been to a practice yet we're going off the Twitter videos we've seen from fans the reports from you know specifically Robbie's amazing reports um so it's kind of hard to gauge too much into great detail, but like we said, we're excited to have real football back. So we're going to read into everything as much as we can. But uh, so I think that's the thing that stands out to me. I'm, I'd be intrigued to see what hard Hardman can do with an expanded role. I think there's a, a floor to that because like, remember where he came from. He was in Kansas city, the most ideal offensive environment in the league. So if they couldn't, figure out how to get more out of him or if they didn't want to do that then it's not i'm not totally confident that another team is going to do it so uh and and joe blewett showed in his film review that you know hardman does have some issues with route running that limit his all-around game and his hands as well so there are limitations in his game i don't think he was buried over there or anything but you know with that speed that he has there's always so much potential to be unlocked if you could really sharpen some of the finer points of his game and just find a role that could naturally get him open for some of those big plays. So I, I think that might be what they're planning. I hack it might have the confidence that we're going to find ways to scheme this guy open for some more downfield throws than maybe he's seen in the past. And then last thing on the offense, uh, as we're recording this, Dalvin cook has tweeted out a sunglasses emoji. He's been in the news for some not so great reasons this weekend, but the buzz about him potentially signing with the jets is still, out there, Salah definitely didn't deny it. He did say, you know, you don't want to say no to good players. Brees Hall still on the the pup list. Do you call it the pup list or the pup list? I mean, I've I've gone back. I say and pup. You go pup. I like pup. All right. Yeah. All right. Brees Hall on the pup lists. You know, we've, we've got Carter, Izzy, and Bam. It seems like Bam has been the best running back so far, according to tweets that we've read. Um, you know, but running the football is going to be important to this offense. I know you've been anti-bringing Cook. Has anything changed? Will you get behind it if, if you get that notification this week that Dalvin Cook is signed with the Jets? Or No. I've already I've already it? thought of my, my tweet that I'll send when it comes out. I'm going to say something like, um, I hope he proves me wrong, but I'm not totally confident in this. Something something along those lines where I'm like, hey, I totally well, you, he's still, hope he proves me he's wrong. He's still a good player, though. You don't think he's... I, he can be overrated and not worth the money. You don't want to play running backs, but he's not a bad player, right? I mean, your face is telling me otherwise. I don't know. I, I don't want to say he's really bad, but does he 
make the Jets better when you consider because you know everyone looks at the rushing yards and the fantasy points and the, and the touchdowns, the big plays, the seventy-yard touchdowns, the yes. drops, the fumbles, the pass blocking, and then you know you look at the rushing impact, and you always have to take into account how much of it is him versus the situation. Like if you throw any of the Jets running backs last year into the same situation, like I don't know, could Zonovan Knight have done what Cook did in the same offense? I feel like he could have. So. I don't know. All right, that's that's controversial. I'm not afraid to have my controversial Dalvin Cook right. takes. I don't, you I don't make a lot of sizzling hot takes. So this is uh, this is my one this for right one. now. All right, well, let's better hope he doesn't sign with us then. Um, right, we'll we'll see what happens with. Safe Cook. to say, he won't like... be a future friend of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, it seems Although like he's he very active on Twitter, so we could probably get a hold of him. Yeah, I doubt he's listening to these, so we could <laughs> we could totally change change course uh on the defense side of the ball the only thing that's well there's a few things that stand out but it seems like jermaine johnson's really making some some strides that he's added some some good muscle mass he's changed his number to 11 you said that your opinion of him and his stock has risen after yeah, changing his number big, to big upgrade that, that significantly increases his speed i think his 40 time decreased by about five hundredths of a second based on that so he, he had to change his official position to linebacker which is really in name only i don't think it really matters but i had this question is that going to matter come uh franchise tag time not that he would even get the tag but if after four years let's say he's performing well they can't come to an agreement the jets slap the tag on him does he get the linebacker tag now like is this going to screw him come contract time or is i don't i does it because i'm looking at the franchise tag positions right now they have linebacker d end d tackle separate positions and linebacker is actually the second highest so i think they are including most of like the you know edge outside linebacker type guys in that so uh, he should be fine so this is just a a dumb designate it's such a dumb role it's i guess it's true because the cave on is is a pass rusher but he's listed as a linebacker yeah it's a three four so i don't know um but yeah jermaine seems to be having a, a good training camps uh, thus far, the other thing that stood out to me is that we are still getting plenty of defensive end reps from John Franklin Myers and, and Michael Clemens. Uh, we'll get more through tech reps from them is what I'd imagine, but you're still, I was seeing a lot of the, the first string offensive line that run defense from left to right has been JFM at left defensive end, Quinn and Williams in that three tech role, Al Woods at the one tech, and then Jermaine Johnson as the other right defensive end. What do you make of that run stopping defensive line? I think that's a great unit. And the fact that JJ has been taking some of those reps, I think is a sign that he'll get more snaps because even I think Lawson was your main, you know, base defensive end last year along with JFM. Obviously Lawson is more known for his pass rushing and he was in all those third down packages, but he did still get the most edge snaps. Uh, when you consider that JFM was playing some of his snaps on the inside, it was Lawson who played the most on the edge. So in any of those base situations, he was out there. He did play quite a bit against the run. So maybe JJ overtakes Lawson in that role this year. That's something that I think is on the table, especially with the pay cut from Lawson. And maybe that works better for Lawson. We talked about that. Um, perhaps if he's in a more pass centric role, can conserve his energy a little bit more. It would be a good way to keep him healthy, keep him fresh and get the most out of his pass rushing. So uh, maybe, maybe that's what they're cooking, but um, yeah, I mean, I've, said before I, I did a bold predictions article recently and i said that john jermaine johnson wouldn't get as many 
as as much of a snap increase as some people might think. And I do think his snaps will go up. It's just hard to see. Like, is he going to start playing 55, 60, 65% of the snaps? No. Like, he's a big-time starter. That's just hard to see because there's so many mouths. But can he get into high 40s? I think he can do that. So yeah, uh, that's where I think he'll end up landing. And he could go yeah. beyond that if he plays well. We said it last week. I just think the his he won't get as many third down opportunities, so he might not have the sack numbers. I mean, look, people still throw on first and second down, so he'll get yeah. some sacks. But I think he's really going to be playing a lot on on first and second down. And then third down, you just have a surplus of, of guys between Carl Lawson, Bryce Huff, Will McDonald that, that they can use. And so I think they'll probably save Jermaine Johnson for those early downs. Uh, the other thing on defense that stood out, I mean, it's like it's a Super Bowl year. This is a great defense, but you have two huge unknowns at safety and linebacker between Jamie and Sherwood and Tony Adams, who have each made some plays, um, especially Adams has been getting a lot of buzz. Uh, what do you make of what we've heard from Adams? I mean, we've been talking about it all offseason, how these two guys are going to have to step up into big roles. We've been very high on the Tony Adams train. Don't know what else you did to add to that, but what do you make of it? Quan's not in the building. Maybe they are just going to roll ahead with Sherwood as the as the starter. How do you feel about just the the state of those two positions? Tony, the Tony Adams ascension is exciting. When I first saw the tweets from Robbie that Adams is getting those first team reps at free safety and vindicated, making some plays, it was a little vindicated, but just excited because I feel like it's the best path forward for this defense to hit their ceiling because without him breaking out it's just you know an Amos Whitehead starting duo is hard to feel good about because you just don't trust either of those guys deep but Adams is a guy who has the skill set to be a deep safety you just have to see him prove that he is ready to do it and that what he showed last year in the preseason and in his short regular season appearance wasn't a fluke so, so far, it seems like he's on track to doing that. The coaching staff is taking a liking to him, as you would expect from a guy who was undrafted rookie, made the team, was starting late in the year. Uh, so it's I'm, that's probably the thing I'm most, besides the obvious stuff, like you know Aaron Rodgers and Garrett Wilson making plays, like all that you know flashy stuff. The Tony Adams ascension is probably the most exciting thing that I've seen so far. Because like I said, I think it's, I think the best case scenario for this defense includes a good tone or a solid season from Tony Adams as the free safety. All right, Michael, last thing, first week of training camp. I want one stud and one dud. We can, we can give a bigger list. Tony Adams was a great pick. We just talked about unless we want to skip him because it's too obvious. I think Tony Adams is my guy for that one. What about your dud? Dud. I mean, who's, has anyone really been a dud so far? I guess Billy Turner. I guess I guess you could pick yeah. him. I was gonna Although say, I, I was don't want to judge Lyman without pads. It's not really fair, but I guess it would be him. Yeah. Else. I, I, well, I guess Becton would be the other one just because he's playing second string. He's basically the third string left tackle yeah. right now. But I don't think he's been performing poorly though, so that's kinda I think they a part of it I think is them easing him in. You know, I, I do think you're gonna see him get some reps with the starters at left tackle. Uh, when the pads come on, you know, you might see it as soon as Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, so yeah, I don't feel, I, I feel like, yeah, Turner or Becton was kind of who I was going to say based off of whatever you said, but, uh, I guess, yeah, I'm trying to think of, I mean, the obvious stud to me is Garrett Wilson, just cause every clip I see of him is just unbelievable. And I can't believe that the jets have that guy, 
But if I'm going to pick somebody else, I'll go Jermaine Johnson. Seems like he's made some some noise. You know, we'll see when the pads come on. But just looking at the photos of him, he's definitely added some mass. Um, I like the number change. But just I, I really like that the Jets have an identity. And going back to what we were talking about with the 2020 draft class and how, you know, that Gase coaching staff maybe didn't have a vision for what they wanted in players and how they would develop them. That's the one thing that's been you know abundantly clear with the solid coaching staff is what they look for especially in defensive ends and what they've looked for in this defense. And Jermaine Johnson checks a lot of those boxes. So I'm just excited to see him because uh, I was impressed with his run defense last year. It's just what else can he add to his game? And, you know, with the added size and NFL offseason, him already making plays, he had a sack this, you know, on Sunday. Um, I'll go with Jermaine Johnson as my stud. I'm trying to think of another dud that has anybody got. Brownlee's made some plays too, right? You want to tell everybody your story about Brownlee? No. <laughs> I think we have to now that I've teased it. No one needs to know about it. Why? It's not. It's not. That's not that bad. It'll be funny if Jason Brownlee's like a Hall of Famer. I, I think this is a relatable story, Michael. You can tell the people. Come on. All right. All right. This we've is all a done little, a little, a little peak fun. I don't know if we've all done it. Maybe some people. Have, I've done that. If you have, like I did, it's uh, not a proud mistake. But uh, not that there are proud mistakes. But anyway, um, I guess there could be. Right. All right. I'm really, I'm really beating around the bush here. Okay. So I DM'd him and I asked him if he wanted to come on the podcast, and he said, "Yeah, like I'm game or whatever." I forgot what he said, but uh, I was gonna follow up, and before I followed up, I wanted to send you my potential response uh, and make sure that it was okay. So I screen, I screenshotted it and was meaning to send it. To you, I said, how's this with the screenshot of the potential response? And uh, somehow accidentally sent that to him. <laughs> and that's the end of the story. Uh, and we haven't heard from him since. We haven't so heard from I him really since. Hope, I really hope he goes on to be a Hall of Fame level receiver. I think he's I still think just be- thinking about his response because he's so, it's <laughs> such a unique response. That, like you got to process how you respond to that. It does seem like he's kind of leading the charge if the Jets keep six receivers. I mean, we'll see come preseason time who's who's going to flash with Zach Wilson. I heard Sala say that, you know, none of the starters are going to play in that Browns game, which isn't surprising. But what do you what do you think that starting lineup is going to look like? I mean, we'll have a podcast with Robbie coming out at the end of this week, and then next Monday we'll have a preview podcast, I guess, about that Browns game. But who are those starting receivers, do you think? Because Wilson's going to be starting QB. Your running back probably – Probably Zonovan Knight, maybe Michael Carter. Seems like Beckton uh, will probably get some run in there. But receivers, I'm interested. I think Brownlee. Maybe Irvin Charles. Do you think Erickson oh. maybe steps up there? He's been getting some run since he came yeah, in. Yeah, and who's the uh, Malik uh, Taylor? Malik Taylor, yeah. Yeah. So you don't think, you think that obviously Garrett's out, Corey, Alan Lazard, Hardman, and Cobb are all out, so we just – yeah, I guess it would be. Yeah, Malik Taylor. Yeah, it'll Jason it'll be tough for Zach because he's he's gonna be <laughs> under the microscope and he's gotta be thrown to a bunch of undrafted and then free his, agents. His tight end's gonna be Ruckert and Koontz and Yaboa. His line is gonna be Adam Pankey, Chris Glazer. No, seriously, what was I think his line's gonna be Becked in at left tackle. Do you think, you think, I think Becton plays? Him. I think yeah. Yeah, he'll play Hall of Fame. He hasn't played in two years. I gotta give him some reps. I think it'll he's be Becton at left reps. tackle. Left guard, maybe Cologne, center, Tipman, right guard. 
maybe Schweitzer. You think we'll McGovern see. plays if you know if he's competing? I oh, maybe, maybe McGovern gets some reps. But yeah, but he's yeah maybe. And then right tackle Mitchell, or maybe they go Warren. Maybe they, oh, no, they'll play Mitchell. I mean, if Mitchell I think some starters in the will lead play. to start right now, then maybe he doesn't. No, I, but if he's a fourth round rookie, like all the snaps are going to help. So I think I think anybody's like I think you might see. But doesn't the Hall of Fame game usually like teams even more so than the last preseason game just totally lean into the backups? Because it's a game that's not really supposed to be on your schedule. It's like a surplus game. Yeah. So it's like I think anybody who could use it, anybody, it's it can be a positive. Like I think Tony Adams should play in it, even if he's going to be the starting free safety. Yeah. Even if he's just playing a series or two. I guess there's only so many make, guys you could bench. Right, and you can make the same argument that maybe McDonald and Johnson should get reps there too, and you know. Maybe Sherwood plays. So I think you will see some starters. It's just like they're going to bench anybody who's a veteran, though. Um, all right. Well, there's one more thing that we have to get to, but let me do the plugs first. You can follow us at Pod on Twitter. Myself, Ben W. Blessington, Michael, Michael underscore Nania. Go to JetsXFactor.com, best place to go for Jets content. Subscribe to the Jets X Factor YouTube. I think that's pretty much it. Michael, throwbacks. I think by the time people are listening to this, it'll already be released because I read that they're supposed to come out on Monday. Um, we haven't officially seen him. We just saw the the one little sneak peek that poor. I think was it the photographer's son or something. That's what I read. Somebody is that some poor soul. Said? I have no. I'm not going to fact I don't, check. That. I don't know. I did not fact check. That. Speculate, but uh, he is a Somebody hero. Somebody leaked it. That's for sure. It seems I know he pretty clear. His Twitter account. <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be the uh, sack exchange. You know, by the way, they should maybe they should bring that that name back for this defensive line. You think so? This or should we just 2. leave it for the 80s? We got to have something well, new. Like the Sons of Anarchy. That was, a, that was a great name. But obviously you can't. It doesn't apply to this one. So you gotta I think, I think you just bring else. back the sack exchange, especially with these uniforms and this defensive line. It's pl- hey, on paper. You got to have your hot tape. Name. All right, okay. we'll see. But want to hear a t- hot take? This defensive line could go down. It could go down as the best defensive line in Jets history. I'm just saying. I know they got Klecko and Gastineau and – Mari so. Lyons yeah. and Abdul Salam, but you look at this this defensive line and the, the ceiling on it at least. I just angered half of our listeners. Just saying, <laughs> no, it's, it's, like, it's it's fair. It's definitely Carl fair. I mean, is anything close is better than any? I mean, no, those guys are Hall of Famers. I'm not going to try disrespect them, one. but I think that um, you know Quinnen. I think that maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. I was not watching in the '80s. I've seen highlights. <laughs> I know their accomplishments. I feel like Quinn Williams is probably better than uh, Gasano. Could he could he play could he play every position on the defensive line though, like Klecko? That he probably couldn't do. He's not playing on the edge. But uh, then just the depth of it, I think Lawson, JFM, JJ Huff, the depth is what really sets it apart. Yeah. All right. Well, those throwbacks should be pretty sick. We'll see. It seems like they're gonna do. Well, we've been talking about how they'll just take the, the decal off and the face mask. They'll swap it out. Uh, we'll see how it looks. They get three games to where they're alternate. This, this is the only thing I wanted to ask because we don't know what they look like officially yet. I imagine they're going to be pretty good. Um, they have three games to wear alternate uniforms. They still have their black unis. So which three games uh, are they going to wear their alternate uniforms and what are they wearing? Let's hear it. Well, I, I think we agreed on this when we were going over it prior to recording. I my prediction. <laughs> it's the only is, thing we went over. 
The, oh, yeah, the, that's the whole preparation. The, the rest of it, like, you know, you just gloss over. There's football and all that, but no one cares about the football. We care about what the players are wearing. That's what this podcast is about. Um, but yeah, I, I, we agree. Yeah, exactly. Um, but we agreed that week four against the Chiefs, Sunday night football, that's when the throwbacks are coming out. And then they'll uh, go with the All Blacks for Monday night football against the Chargers. And then you can't miss the opportunity to do Black Friday against the Dolphins. So uh, you agree with that, yeah. right? Yeah, I think you see these throwbacks once this year. I think the Chiefs game on Sunday night football makes sense. Um, I do I do anticipate a full rebrand for 2024, though. Yeah. I think they'll go to the 80s logo and then touch up these uniforms. But anyways, it's enough uniform talk. As I said, we'll have that Robbie Sabo podcast probably on Friday, coming out on Friday, um, who can give us a little bit more insight into Jets camp. And then next Monday we'll be talking about that Browns game and kind of get into the swing of things in terms of game previews, reviews. We'll do some more mailbags and, and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great week. Football is finally back. Jets football is finally back. I just love training camp. I love waking up. Every, I'm on the West Coast right now, so I just love waking up and the whole practice has happened. Every day I wake up, though, and I'm just like, no injuries. No injuries. No, and then I see it, and I'm like, all right, great. Let me go watch all yeah. these Twitter clips, go through each beat writer, read all their tweets. Let me get the breakdown of, of Zach Wilson's performance we didn't even talk about, but we'll, we'll talk about him a little bit more with Robbie. Um, all right, thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great week. Go Jets.